Welcome to Buddhism for Beginners, a podcast on foundational Buddhist teachings and techniques to use in your everyday life. This podcast is a production of Kunzang Payal Choling, a Buddhist center in the Payal lineage of the Nyingma School of Tibetan Buddhism. For more teachings, meditations, and resources, you can visit our online virtual temple at tara.org. That's T-A-R-A dot org. There is a whole world outside of our concepts. And in this teaching, See Beyond Your Preconceptions, Jetsama Akon Lamo gives us the keys to unlocking it. First of all, when one first comes to the spiritual community or comes to a spiritual path or begins to search by oneself, we come to the path we think, willing to learn, willing to be excited, willing to take on something new. We do not come to the path. And I actually reserve judgment about that because I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it's what we think we are coming to the path with. What we generally come to the path with, actually, and this is like the killer that's, that's, that's underlying all of our efforts here and actually thwarts many of our spiritual efforts as we first approach the path. What we come to the path with are certain prejudices and preconceived ideas. For many of us, I would say 99% of us, unfortunately, these ideas, these prejudices, are never dealt with head-on. We never really isolate them, examine them, put them to the test. We don't do that. What we do instead is to carry them with us, When we approach the spiritual path, we go through a period where we kind of learn the lay of the land. You know, we kind of get the picture and see what's expected. We see how other people talk. We see how other people think. Uh, We see how things affect us. And often, because of what's basically peer pressure, often because of uh, just wanting to fit in, wanting to have that in-group feeling, we tend to verbally, um, superficially adopt some of the ideas associated with the spiritual path uh, that we find ourselves in. We tend to internalize, internalize some of the ideas uh, that, on a superficial level, again, and become programmed to look like other people that are doing the same things that we do. Now, you've seen that in your job situation, for instance. When you go into a job situation, if you have co-workers with, uh, co-workers that you work with that have a certain kind of, and you'll notice that this happens in a job situation, there's a certain way they have of joking, or there's a certain way of comradeship that they develop, or there's a certain attitude toward the job that they, they, they develop. Uh, without examining our own ideas very thoroughly, we will tend to fall into their way of doing things. And of course, eventually we'll find ourselves unhappy because it isn't us. And our minds become kind of tainted almost with an idea that we ourselves did not accept but was superimposed on us. On the spiritual path, this is much more so the case. On a spiritual path, we tend to come to the path and, and, and get the lingo. You know, we get the lingo, we get the way that people walk, we get the people, the way that people move through it. Uh, and the Dharma scene, we kind of do the Dharma dance and walk the walk, Dharma walk and talk the Dharma talk. And uh, we do that. It's a superficial kind of um, programming that enters into us. 
And we do that in a mindless way almost, without really seeing what we feel, without really examining what our ideas were when we came to the path, and really challenging ourselves on a personal level to not only move through our own inflexibilities and rigidities, but also to examine what other people's inflexibilities are and to see if they're worthwhile for us. These are things that we seem to neglect to do. We accept superficial programming, and the bottom line is when you do that, underneath that programming, underneath that appearance, you don't really change. And that's where accepting that programming becomes a real problem. You just don't change underneath it all. About change, well, here's one of the... I I talked just a moment ago about rigid preconceived ideas that we come to the path with. One of the main rigid preconceived ideas that we come to the path with that nobody examines because it's cultural is this idea of democratic, rugged individualism. Intellectual individualism. We come to this idea saying, yep, I've lived a long time and I've had lots of experiences and therefore I have my way. I mean, that is what we come to the path with. We have this idea of our way. And we actually come to the path uh, and thinking, well, let's see now, does this path fit in with my way? Well, you've got to challenge yourself on that immediately. And the reason why is that if you already had your way leading you to enlightenment, if you were already in such a position that you were practicing a technology and philosophy and purpose that were that had you on the very threshold of enlightenment, uh, by enlightenment I mean what the Buddha has, not just cool person. There's a difference. Um, we, we, we forget that sometimes. But anyway, uh, if you had something that had you on the very threshold of enlightenment and, and already you were having signs such as incense appearing in the air around you and that uh, when you went to the bathroom, people really thought there was a church service going on. You know what I'm saying? Um, or perhaps when, uh, you know, when you sleep, rainbows appear above your head, perhaps. Who knows? Vultures circle around you. Vultures being a sign of tearing away at the ego. Who knows what's happening? You could also mean that you're dead, so you really don't know. Um, but anyway, if you're absolutely sure that you are on the threshold of enlightenment, First of all, there's no need for you to find a path. Must be you're doing okay. Second of all, if you do find a path, uh, you're right. You probably don't have to invest too much in it. You can just hang on for a while and socialize with people on the path. Now, why would you want to do that? People in the world are a lot more fun. But anyway, um, if you do come to the path and, and, and you find that, that you're searching, you're really honestly searching, You're really looking for some answers. Not everything is perfect in your life. Your relationships have conflict, are not completely fulfilling. You don't have all the answers. And you don't have all the answers, believe me. Um, And and let's say you you really, you, you get that there's more to be done. You know that there's more to be done. When you come to the path, you should be in a position to change. You should be in a position to grow. To grow, one has to break down the old and move into the new. It's kind of like changing clothing sizes as you grew up as a child. 
when you moved from the clothing of a toddler to the clothing of a bigger child, you basically had to throw away the old clothing because you couldn't fit in it anymore. It's, that's pretty much what you have to do when you come to the spiritual path, but unfortunately, we seem not to be prepared to do that. We seem to be prepared to fish up whatever old, musty answers we might have imagined in the past and, and, and play with them a little bit more, but to do so in a spiritual context with other people of like mind. That really is what we think to do. We're prepared to remain rigid, we are prepared to cling to our old ideas. We are prepared to assume that we can evaluate, perhaps, the Buddha's teaching and decide for ourselves if it's a good teaching or not. Well, to some degree, one has to do that. One has to decide whether or not the teaching itself is authentic, meaning, does it arise from the mind of enlightenment? In the case of the, of the Dharma or the Buddha's teaching, it does. It arises from the mind of the Buddha, who is considered to be an enlightened being and had all those signs that I talked about previously, including the church thing. Um, <clears throat> and then we can also uh, examine the, um, you know, the, the content of our lives and we can see that things need to change. And we can make some conclusions that we're coming to a new experience that we should consider ourselves fresh and new, that we have to challenge our own basic preconceived ideas, our intellectual format, and we have to do so in such a way to make room for flexibility. We have to do so in such a way to, to make room for growth. You have to expect to change. Normally, though, again, that isn't what happens, and this is the tragedy that I've seen, quite frankly. This is not only characteristic of new people. New people coming to the path can be expected to you know, have to go through their Rolodex of preconceived ideas and toss some things out and perhaps keep some things because they seem pertinent or they seem like they will work in the situation that they're in. So that takes time, and while they're doing that, there is a kind of inflexibility, and sometimes there is a kind of confusion actually, that happens on the path. As we're reevaluating re our ideas, uh, a confusion comes from looking at our programming uh, in the sense that sometimes we receive programming or information that tells us we're good if we're a certain way, you know, that we should find ourselves successful if we maintain a certain kind of status quo. And so whether we got that from our society or from our parents or from our friends, whatever it is, um, when we come to the path, sometimes, a lot of times really, most times in fact, we have to toss a lot of that out. There's a lot of confusion happening while that happens because if you form the conclusion, for instance, that you are a good person or a successful person if you are, let's say, intellectually superior. Now a lot of people are told that. A lot of people are fed that information in school and they are fed that information by their parents. And so they come preparing with, prepared with this intellectual shell of superiority that, that their idea is always going to be superior to anything that they hear. So that tends to happen. When we come to the path, we have to be prepared to see that go. Because, let's face it, the Buddha's intellectual philosophy 
is going to be superior to yours or your dad's or your mom's who told you these things or your friends who also gave you their input or your culture which is that that voice that we can't pin down but we seem to all hear so where those things are going to change and in the meantime the other ideas that go with that kind of format the ideas such as uh, you are a really slick person if your intellectual superiority is worn right there on your sleeve and evident to everyone um, if you have that while you're changing you're going to feel at a loss you're going to wonder what your value actually is if you took a lot of value from intellectual superiority or intellectual arrogance what are you going to do when that breaks down you have to find a new way to love yourself for a little while you're going to feel something at a loss and then and for that very reason sometimes when people first come to the path they almost don't feel as good once they really get in and get kicking as they did right before they first found the path or when they actually first found the path and they were all aglow you know with uh, with this new adventure sometimes we go we do almost always go through a period of confusion as things begin to get dismantled. Uh, another idea would be that uh, people have tremendously false ideas about what spirituality is. And here's the nugget of what we're going to talk about today. Here's the real soup that I want to stir up. Um, we have very strange ideas, actually, about spirituality that we come to the path with. We have to examine, first of all, where these ideas come from. Again, we have this cultural voice that tells us things. Um, in this country, pri primarily we have uh, a lot of um, draw come from uh, the Judeo-Christian ethic. And we have, uh, and, and even where this ethic comes from, nobody really exactly knows I don't think you could actually find the Ju book of Judeo-Christian ethic anywhere in the Old or New Testament that I know of. But still, it's that unconscious voice that we seem all to be programmed with. We have ideas from our mothers about what spiritual actually means. Uh, it varies from, beauty is as beauty does, you've heard that one, or uh, to the idea that good girls are quiet, you know, good boys are powerful. I mean, that could be a spiritual factor, a factor in our understanding of what spirituality ought to be like. Um, and our dads might have programmed us with a different kind of programming altogether, letting little girls know that they were much more highly favored when they were submissive, and letting little boys know that they were much more highly favored when they were Virile, which is hard to do before the testosterone kicks in, but boys are expected to do it at three or four. You know, that's supposed to happen right off the bat. So we have all these sometimes unrealistic expectations. And sometimes they can be met in different areas in our lives. But they seem to bleed into our spiritual ideas. Often when people first come to the path, they have ideas that literally prevent them from continuing. For instance, uh, I can think of some examples. These are all sort of general examples. These are not specific people that I'm thinking of, but these are things that I have experienced in welcoming new students to the path. 
For instance, people tend to come into a scene such as this and not really adopt the posture, which is a gentle posture, of stop, look, and listen. They do not reserve judgment. They come into the path with a checklist of things that they expect to see. And if they don't expect to see them, they don't take in their environment. They're out the door, absolutely out the door. Uh, an example of that would be in regard to myself. And I don't mind speaking badly about myself. It's okay by me. I think honesty is a good thing. Um, I do not fit most people's concept of what a spiritual woman ought to look like. Frankly, I've never tried to. Uh, in fact, I would go as far as the other direction as I could possibly get away with just to demonstrate something about spirituality. It isn't a storybook picture. It isn't what you think it ought to look like. It's a wonderful opportunity for each of us to begin to drop our ideas of what spirituality ought to look like. And the reason why we should adopt those, drop those ideas as, to, ideas as to what spirituality should look like is because we ourselves, you, will never fulfill them. And if you try to simply act like you are, you will fail. Because internally, spirituality will really not be happening. You'll just be acting. And you can do that somewhere else. So my feeling is that when we come into a place like this, when new students come into a place like this, they are challenged by me. And I know this to be true. And I'm, I'm kind of happy about that, to tell you the truth. Um, I feel that uh, what normally happens is, first of all, if, if people are coming because they're interested in the Buddhist thing, they really want to see a woman in robes. They really want to see a woman who is meek and mild and uh, perhaps, I don't know, uh, not opinionated at all, um, only gives very gentle suggestions as to what you might do to make you happier. <laughs> Preferably, her eyes should be rolled ever skyward, never looking at anyone from the waist down. Oh, my, no. Oh, no. <laughs> never even thinking such thoughts. All of her children should have been born, if she has them, uh, through immaculate conception. It's hard to do these days, but it can be done, I think. <laughs> it's not for a while, though. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, they, they just have certain kinds of ideas that... Oh, and also, oh, don't, let's not forget this. She should pay special maternal attention to me. That's a prime prerequisite. If she doesn't catch my eyes, she isn't good. That's very, very, very important. So I do try that. I mean, that's one thing. I do give on that. I try to make eye contact with everybody. You'll notice that I try to do that. Oh, I missed you. I'm sorry. <laughs> do you like me better now? <laughs> so, I mean, I do really try to do that because I think that helps with communication. These guys, I don't even try anymore. They're too old. <laughs> so we come into this spiritual format, and, and, and we have this checklist of, let's see, passivity, humility, dress code, 
uh, write our checklist, and we sort of look at our mental checklist, and we go, I can't hear anything she says now, because she doesn't pass. Now, that happens really much too much on this path. That event, should it have happened to you, doesn't say anything at all about me. It says something about you. And that's what you need to examine and to look at. When you come to a path, the first thing that should happen is that you should let go of all preconceived ideas. Because in its place, new ideas might come, believe it or not. What do you think new ideas might come? Should you do as I've suggested, come in here and just stop, look and listen without any preconceived ideas? Well, here's what could happen. You might actually listen to the teaching and say, geez, she really cares about what we do. I mean, she cares that we're thinking straight. She seems to care about the kids. She seems to really care about whether or not we get this right. So she's taken the time to explain it on a very fundamental level. Hmm. Well, maybe compassion or loving kindness doesn't look like what I thought. Whoa! Well, maybe that means I can like take all of my emphasis away from play acting and start really looking at the mechanics of compassion and loving kindness. You see, at that point, you may learn something very precious. And that is that you, by accepting your environment and not having such rigid preconceived ideas, may be a heck of a lot better at accepting yourself. The people that can't accept me also can't accept themselves. They put themselves through rigid programs. There are certain very rigid ideas that they must compulsively cling to in order to find their identity, whatever that might be. And, there, and, there's, and they may not even realize that. They may not even realize how deep that goes. Uh, they have funny ideas like if they're acting a certain way, like perhaps joking or loud and boisterous, that by doing that, they're not spiritual. So people like that may feel like uh, what they have to do is to, like, can it, you know? Uh, maybe what they think they have to do is to repress themselves. Maybe what they think they have to do is to stop acting normal, which is, happens at an appalling rate when people come to the path. They stop acting normal. Maybe they think what they're supposed to do is instead they're supposed to act uh, very, what looks to me like constipated, to tell you the truth. <laughs> Uh, you know, just basically constipated. And, and so they feel like they have to really buckle down. And somehow in their mind they think, and this does happen, they think that because they're acting pious, now you've seen this yourself, that because they're acting pious and perhaps they have learned to roll the eyes ever skyward and perhaps they do totally go into frigid city and uh, on a, every, emotion, every level, emotional, everything, physical, everything. Uh, Maybe they feel that because that has happened, they are becoming more and more spiritual. People like that won't last. You won't last on the path. You can't. First of all, you can't be what you're not. You cannot repress yourself and have it work for you. It's not going to work. You have natural qualities to your personality. 
The point that I'm trying to make, and the point that you should be seeing by being a lay person, by, by being as I am, and I am trying to make a point, is that spirituality works for you. And it starts where you are. And you can look and act the same as you are now and still get spirituality. Because if you're proper, I mean, if the thing is really happening, if you're really growing inside of yourself spiritually, if you're really making honest-to-goodness pro uh, progress, no one should be able to tell by the way you act. Because the way you act is just that. It's acting. But they should be able to tell by what you do. The difference is like this. It's not about your mannerisms or your dress. It isn't about the flavor of your personality. It isn't about any of those superficial things. The mechanics of spirituality are about more fundamental things, such as compassion, for instance. On meeting with the path and becoming really spiritual, compassion should be the meat and potatoes of your life, the first and foremost feature of your life. Compassion doesn't look like acting nice. That's the mistake we make. We think that in order to become a compassionate person, what we should do is act like a real sweetheart so that everybody can look at you and say, oh, how compassionate that person is. Isn't that a nice person? Then you could think, yep. <clears throat> I've really got that compassionate thing down. But in fact, that isn't happening at all. Because you have not really changed anything other than the way you act. What should happen instead is that you begin to actually do things that benefit others. Like what I'm trying to, tra to train the children to do. Get into the habit of asking people around you. Here's a where to start. Get into the habit of asking people around you how do you feel? What is it you're not happy with? And then either listening, maybe just being a good listener, or comforting, or maybe offering a suggestion of some kind. Something nuts and bolts mechanical. And you don't have to change anything about the way you act or look in order to do that. You just have to help. Let's say that you decide that according to the Buddhist teaching, and you're beginning to believe this, you feel that, um, well, this is, this is what the Buddha's taught, Buddha has taught in order to back up, that we are suffering from the accumulation of non-virtuous causes. In other words, all of the things that happen to us in our life now that are unhappy things, and even the happy things that are temporary and then eventually are taken away from us, are actually the result of non-virtuous causes that we ourselves have brought about in previous lives and in this life as well. They result in unhappy fruits. Cause and result are always going to play out together. That means that if there is a cause that is brought about or a seed, thought, or event, it will bring about a reaction or uh, a result. Cause and result are always together and cannot be separated. So the Buddha teaches us that what we are suffering from now is the, the inception and the and, and the, the coming into play of non-virtuous causes that previously we have engaged in. So 
when we begin to, uh, to understand that, we decide, well, what I'm really going to do now is to try to create a lot of virtuous causes. So I'll go on a program. I'll do what I can to help other sentient beings on an ordinary level. That means within my life, I'll see what I can do. Um, try to be generous. Try to be helpful with my time. Just, just try to get, look at people, see what they need. Try to help a little bit. I'm going to try to do that. So you make a plan, just like these children have a plan, of looking at one thing that their parents want every day and try to help them. That's a great way to start. Then you might think, well, okay, generally speaking, there's a collective consciousness of non-virtue. People are into war, people are into, you know, desire and, and greed, and people are into violence of different kinds, uh, anger, hatred, ignorance. There is a collective kind of non-virtuous consciousness that we're dealing with. So I'm going to make a contribution. I'm going to try to sort of weigh this out a little bit put something in the good pile. I'm going to create some virtuous consciousness. You don't even have to tell anybody that you're doing that. In fact, if you do tell somebody that you're doing that, I bet it's not as virtuous. You know what I mean? It looks to me like a feather in the old cap. So, in a quiet way, you, be, you learn how to do some meditational practice. You learn how to recite mantra and to generate yourself as the primordial wisdom deity. You learn how to do this practice, and you do it for a certain proportion of time every day in order to purify the collective non-virtuous consciousness. And so you begin to put stuff in the other pile, and pretty soon where it's like this, maybe over time it'll start to do a little bit of this. And if we all do it together, even more so. So let's say you make a commitment to that. Now, while you're doing these things, these are potent spiritual practices You've actually learned something, and you've begun to make a commitment. You've begun to really travel a spiritual path by which benefit is brought to the world. Essentially, you have taken on the bodhisattva way of life, that is, the, the, the life of an awakening being. Now, should you begin to do that, do you think you're going to act any differently? Who knows? But not necessarily, and that's the point. It isn't about how things look. But you'll never get to that decision point that I've just described. You'll never get to that deep resolution of what you should do about your spiritual life if you're stuck on the level of appearances. It's just never going to happen. You'll be too busy acting. You'll be too busy walking the walk and talking the talk. Now, I have had students who have been extremely frustrated with me. And, I'm, you know, the, if I asked them to raise their hands, I think they'd be honest enough to do it. But there are certain, certain of my students who have actually come to me and for spiritual advice. I've had, you know, one actually said, I came here because I had a dream and a vision, and then three days later I met you. And it's all been very powerful and spiritual. And, um, and well, this, my whole life has been building up to this point. And uh, I've always been spiritual, and I've really, well, it's just, and here I am. So what would you like me to do? My first word to somebody like that would be, lose the nice routine. Lose the sweet act. Because you're not going to make any spiritual progress like that. Now that's tough, 
You know, for somebody who has vested their, invested their whole identity in what everybody told them they should look like, and they just about got it nailed. Sure, they're a seething volcano underneath it all, but so long as you can maintain you know, the status quo, who cares? You're getting away with it. And in America, we all know morality is don't get caught. Well, we know that. That's how it is. So here they are traveling the spiritual path, and they're not getting caught. You know, they're acting real nicey-nicey, like they're, you know, sort of the dimple darling of spirituality. And um, they're getting away with it. Nobody notices. But then they come to me, pain in the neck that I am. Darn, I can be an irritation. And they come to me, and the first thing I said to them is, lose the sweetheart routine, sister. Now, that's real hard to take when you've spent your whole life feeling that you are at the pinnacle of spiritual activity because you're nice. But I have done that. And the reason why I do that is because of what I've just described. This person's never going to make any spiritual progress. Their idea of the path, their idea of spirituality, and their idea about themselves is so fragile and rigid and superficial that nothing can be done. Come back when you want to get real. That's how I teach. I... On the other hand, I've had lots of students come to me and say, you know, I mean, and I've had some sad stories. You know, I've been an alcoholic for so many years. I'm recovering now, but, you know, um, been in jail. I haven't done too much nice for people, but I'm searching and I'm looking for something. And now you're telling me that compassion is the way. And I don't think I have a prayer's chance in hell really doing this, but uh, I like what you're saying and, do you think that I could, like, be your student? And I'm like, come here, baby. Because at least you're coming, you're, what, you're, what you're starting from is a real place there. You're honest and you're real and you're ready in some way. You know that person can easily be taught that samsara is faulted. They've seen it and they've faced it. That person can easily be taught that compassion is better than non-virtue. They've seen the results of non-virtue. They faced it. They've looked at themselves in the condition when they were non-virtuous without slicking it over and covering it up. They can face it. They can take it. They're true, they may have to start at point one. You know, they may have to start with baby steps. But they can start. Mr. or Ms. Sweetie Sweetie cannot start. They're, they're impotent to start. They simply can't. Why that is, is because we have so many horrible spiritual ideas about what spiritual, what, well, so many horrible mistaken ideas about what spirituality should look like. We are hogtied and unable to move. I wish you to understand that you can come to a place like this and you can drop your agenda. Should you drop your agenda of spiritual pointers to look for, you can, then at that point, you can begin to take in your environment. And here's what you should really look for when you decide on a spiritual path, when you decide which way to go. First of all, I want to borrow a phrase from another religion. By their fruits you shall know them. That's how it works. 
In order to decide if the teacher is the right teacher for you, you should look at the fruits of their lives. In order to decide who is, excuse me, bullshitting you, you should look at the fruits of their lives. Look at the voices that have been speaking to you over time. Look at the voices of your peers, for instance, that tell you you should be macho man or, uh, or a Barbie doll. Barbie doll! <laughs> Look at those voices. What's the fruit of that voice? Where does that lead you? The people that propagate such theories, where, where are they going? The voices of your parents who tell you that, uh, I don't know, good girls are submissive and good boys are macho men. Uh, big boys don't cry. Uh, um, girls, if possible, should marry a doctor, a successful doctor, in private practice, not research. Very important. Uh, preferably a specialist. Uh, who are those voices and what, what are the fruits of their lives? Have their lives, well, okay, maybe your mother nailed a doctor. Who knows? But who, what, is the, what is the actual fruit of their life? Does their life actually bring about the end of suffering for sentient beings? Does it bring about benefit? Does it really make for a better world? These are the things that you yourself have to examine. And then... If you're looking to pick a teacher, if you're looking to see, and once you've picked a teacher, if you need, and we do need, to reevaluate in order to go deeper, because we come up with challenges every now and then in our devotion and in our, 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 our sense of authority, look at the life of, of the teacher that you're thinking to pick. Has it brought about the end of suffering for, for sentient beings? Has, has it brought about some good result? Is, is there benefit from it? Has something good happened? Examine the fruit in a very logical way. Teach yourself to take in new information. The idea that you have a checklist of your own, that is, how the spiritual scene should look, how the people should dress, how they should act, how they should smell. I actually had a student didn't want to be my student because I wear perfume. That, wait, this one. Yeah, for real. Perfume. Didn't want to be my student because I wear perfume. And actually said to me, I need you to stop wearing perfume. And I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> can't do it. I'm sorry. Just can't do it. So anyway, um, you know, ra examine your own agenda. And, and see for yourself, you know, can you let go of this agenda, at least put it on hold for a little while, and walk into a spiritual scene and think, maybe, just maybe, my agenda isn't the ultimate word on spirituality. I know that sounds unrealistic, but maybe, just maybe, I don't have the bottom line here. Now you can go into a place like this and you can find out that, in fact, there are certain ways that one should judge to see if a place of practice is proper. There are a whole list of qualifications that we have to fulfill. And to see whether a teacher is qualified. Why don't you just drop your own list and see what, that, see what those are? You might really learn something. That could happen. You might also learn to give yourself a break. 
Because unfortunately, and here's the bottom line, we have spent literally most of our lives trying to fulfill a certain image that we're getting. I would say that 90% of our calories and 90% of our mental, emotional, and physical energy is, to- is totally spent on keeping down, repressing our natural tendencies, not accepting whatever angers and frustrations that we have in such a way that we can actually deal with them, but rather repressing them in order to look like a certain format, you know, a certain spiritual, rigid spiritual idea. We spend most of our time keeping ourselves under wraps because we basically don't think we're good and we basically think we have to act good. That's where most of our time and most of our energy goes to. And most of the modern day stress that we experience today has, I'm afraid to tell you, a lot less to do with traffic jams and work environments than it has to do with the fact that we're trying to fit a round peg into a square hole or a square peg into a round hole depending on what shape we are. It's a personal internal stress of not being able to breathe. We just can't breathe. And if you let go of these lists of expectations and try to see that perhaps there is a different way to evaluate things, you can also learn to lighten up on yourself. Like let's say, for instance, we examine how the Buddha teaches us to look at a teacher. Now, the Buddha, who, who actually also emanated in the form of Guru Rinpoche, in, um, in, who brought Vajrayana to Tibet, gave us a whole bunch of ways that we might be able to tell something about teachers. And this is how we evaluate teachers. It's also actually given teachers a bunch of ways as to how to evaluate students. But I won't tell you those, because then you'll act like it. so we'll keep you guessing but I can tell you what is expected of the teacher there are two different ways that you can evaluate a teacher first of all you have to look at the path that they are teaching Uh, if the teacher is giving you a path or a method or a technology that arises from the mind of enlightenment then this is a good thing obviously unfortunately most of what you find in today's day and age is that that is not the case that is just not the case uh, oftentimes there's a whole spiritual program or pseudo-spiritual program or quasi-spiritual program revolving around the idea that 50 years ago somebody had a dream or a vision and, uh, and they went with it, you know, basically went with it. And um, nobody that they've ever taught has really like ascended in the rainbow body yet that we can tell, but the promise is that it may happen someday. In fact, the person themselves is still with us and so far hasn't really shown any of those major signs that we know of. None that we can really see. Oh, they may say that they're enlightened, but maybe not. Maybe not, quite frankly. And so, basically, uh, religion is developed and and what happens is the people that come into a spiritual program with preconceived ideas generally find one of those that fit in with their preconceived ideas and they happily get to continue on just the same without being challenged too much and that's what a lot of that actually is 
the Buddha teaches us that if we find a path or a technology that actually arises from the mind of enlightenment, that is to say, is brought into the world by an absolutely verified enlightened being, having all the signs and indications of enlightenment, then that, if that teacher can, in a qualified way, teach that path, then this is a good thing. If that teacher has themselves studied the technology to the point where they can actually, uh, uh, they've accomplished the practice in their own meditation and therefore can lead you in your meditation, this is a good thing. If the teacher has academically studied to the point where uh, they know the path backward and forward, and even if they themselves haven't attained realization, they can teach you the method of one who has attained realization. This is a good thing. That's one kind of teacher. Another kind of teacher that we are taught we should also go to is um, a teacher who has themselves attained realization previously. Uh, That is to say, and, and there are certain ways that you have to look at that. You can't listen to someone who says, I've attained realization. Actually, if a person says, I'm enlightened or I've attained realization, they probably aren't. Because no enlightened person in their right mind, other than the Buddha himself, who was meant, who was unquestionably enlightened and was meant to bring about the beginning of a new age and had to use that authority. Uh, and nobody in their right mind is actually going to say that because it literally does no good. Uh, if a person is, however, known to be enlightened, and here are the ways that one would know for that person to be enlightened. That person has been formally and properly recognized by those people who are also practicing in the same tradition and who are capable of doing so and who themselves have attained realization, who themselves have been recognized by those who have been recognized, by those who have been recognized, and it should be traced in lineage all the way back to the time of the of the bringing forth of the enlightened mind that began that process, such as in the time of Guru Rinpoche. In the case of uh, uh, myself, for instance, um, I am not qualified in the first regard. Uh, I have, uh, and I'm very honest with you, I am not qualified in the, sur- in the first regard. Uh, His Holiness Pena Rinpoche found and discovered me when I was... I think he enthroned me when I was 38, and he discovered me two years before that. Um, so I have not had enough time, and, and, and the way that my life has been going, again, speaking to you very honestly, uh, I already had a meditation center and already had about 60 or 70 students and was already in a very active teaching mode before I was discovered. Then when the discovery came about, uh, I haven't changed that so much because if it ain't broken, don't fix it. That's my philosophy. What I do seems to work and seems to bring about benefit. And Pena Rinpoche told me to continue with what I do. So his, his, so I have not, his recognition of me is one thing. That's in a different category. I am not fully academically qualified to teach you in an academic way. Therefore, what I do to provide that kind of academic learning for you is to bring into the temple those teachings that are those teachers that are academically qualified. That's uh, so that I make sure, because I care about you, that you have everything that you need. I am considered to be qualified in the second category. Uh, I have never said about myself that I am enlightened. As far as I am concerned, 
I am an ordinary woman. And I would much prefer to remain an ordinary woman. Uh, in, in all honesty, uh, the day that I was enthroned, the day that I was recognized was interesting. The day that I was enthroned was not one of the happier days of my life. Uh, it was a public event, and, and I don't really like things like that too much. And as my, one of my root gurus has said to me, the day that she sits up on that throne is the day she goes to jail. That's true. It's a, it's, it, it, it's a very, because in the public eye, I become suddenly responsible for how people think about Dharma. And so that was not the happiest day in my life. Yet that did occur. And uh, according to Painter Rinpoche, who is the, one of the three lamas who recognized me, um, I am this certain incarnation. In that previous life, realization occurred uh, with all the proper signs and indications. And I'll let somebody else tell you that story. I've, it's too boring for me to hear again. Um, so all of those things have happened. And, and uh, so in, in, the reason why I'm telling you this, that I fall into the second category of qualification, is that you would never have known that or even thought to ask that. That would never have crossed your mind. You wouldn't know how to, take, to really evaluate the situation here and see what it is if you had simply come into the temple with preconceived ideas about how everybody should look and how everybody should dress and how everybody should think and how everybody should interact. And God help us if we like to dance. You know what I mean? If you, if you had picked up on things like that and, and didn't know how to ask the other questions, you could have met up with your absolutely perfect spiritual opportunity where someone who is qualified does speak your language, is able to talk to you in a way that is relative to you and, and, and is born to do that, able to do that in your cultural format. You might have walked into the only time that you will ever have a chance to actually connect with what is basically your root guru and never have known it. Just never have known it. And it doesn't say anything about the teacher. And it doesn't say anything about the spiritual community. What it says is that you miss the boat due to inner rigidity and not being able to take in your environment. Not being able to actually understand due to the clinging to preconceived ideas that are very, very rigid. So this is a problem. And this is something we have to overcome and we have to solve. Believe me, when I'm, I'm not telling you this to pin any ribbons on myself. As soon as I can get away from here, I'm going to go home and do exactly what I want to do. So I'm not trying to get you to honor me in any way or to do anything for me. It's not like that. What I'm trying to do is to help you to make yourself gentler in your mind, more open, more able to take in, more able to receive the blessing. Most of us walk into this place with our minds kind of like a bowl that is turned over. Someone's pouring milk in, but we just can't receive it. There's no place to hold it. You see what I'm saying? And some of us, you know, we're so distracted and we're so concerned with our own preconceived intellectual ideas that our, our minds are like a cracked bowl. Someone pours the milk in, but it leaks out the crack. And some of us are so dead set on rigid preconceived ideas, mixed up with all kind of judgment that what happens is that it's almost like we have a bowl with poison at the bottom. And so someone pours in milk 
which is sweet, good, nourishing milk and might even save our lives if we were hungry enough. But we can't drink it because it's mixed with poison. So those are the problems that we have when we come to the path. And these are the things that must be overcome if we're ever to really drink the nectar, drink the milk of Dharma practice. We have to be able to open up. We have to be able to see, to hear. We have to be gentler in our minds and to let go of our judgment and preconceived ideas. We might also learn something about ourselves, that there's a real nuts and bolts, honest to goodness, no kidding way to live a spiritual life practically. And you don't have to go to the Himalayas and sit on a very cold mountain on a dirty blanket or something like that. You can do it right here. The idea that you have to change from one life form to another in order to become spiritual is appalling. What point is a spiritual practice like that? How's everybody going to do it? I mean, let's think this through. What is the point? That's like having a perfectly beautiful car with no wheels. There's just no way. Nice object, let's make it a planter. I mean, that's kind of how we have to think about a spiritual practice like that. If it's unattainable to the masses, if you can't do it, how, how's it going to serve? How's it going to change the world? What's the point? So we have to get down to the nuts and bolts of spirituality, and we have to begin to understand that compassion, for instance, if we're going to make a better world, we have to have compassion, and compassion isn't acting like Miss Nicey-Nicey, Barbie doll macho man person. It isn't like that. That real compassion is about doing good, solving the needs of people. And most of the needs of people are within their own minds, their own mental process. Our sicknesses, our losses, our real hungers are spiritual. So this is the point that I'm trying to make. Give yourself a break. Learn to open up your eyes. Learn to take in without judging. Learn to see clearly. That's your first challenge when you come here. Your first challenge is not to fit in. You don't care about that. You shouldn't care about that. Your first challenge is to relax. Just take it in. See what there is to see. Learn something. Can you do it? Sounds relatively simple, but a lot of people can't. They just can't take it in. I guarantee you, if you're able to do that on the spiritual path, if you're able to do that about this spiritual situation and about even the teacher, if you're able to do that, it will change the way you look at yourself. Basically, your stuff's going to hit the fan anyway. So lighten up on the act. You know, if it doesn't come out in the wash, it's going to come out in the rinse. Let's deal with it now. <laughs> for those of you that have been with me for a while, can you verify that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before long, our butts are hanging out in the wind, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So might as well get on with it and get the big picture. Anyway, thank you for coming today. And I'm, 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 I talk to you in this very familiar way because I feel that a lot of the information that we get spiritually is something out there 
something that we can do but we can't practice. Do you get the difference? There's a, there is a difference. We have to be able to live our spiritual lives. It's about walking your walk and talking your talk. And that's very hard to do when you don't really understand it as a person, as a human being. And so I do try to talk, some of the time at least, in such a way as to be eminently reachable and, and, and very digestible, sometimes pre-digested. And that's what you got today, some pre-digested dharma. Chewed it up, and there it is for you. So thank you very much for, for being here today. I really do appreciate your company. This podcast has been a production of Kunzang Payul Choling. For more teachings, meditations, and resources, you can visit our online virtual temple at tara.org. That's T-A-R-A dot org.